starts with the podcast hosts introducing themselves. Uh, so, who are you, Tom? I'm Tom, guys. I am um, married to Chloe, and um, your yeah, GC leader. I, yeah, yeah, I'm a GC leader. Uh, and I'm Bree, and I'm also your GC leader. I am uh, not married to Chloe. And <laughs> yeah, great, that'll do. We are your, uh, we are your um, witty and intelligent podcast hosts. And then the next section of a podcast introduction usually sums up what we talk about. So on today's podcast, Tom, what can people expect? Well, they can expect the, um, the continuation of our journey through the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at chapter 9. Um, yeah. Yeah, we talk about why this chapter is such a pivotal part of Luke's Gospel and how mm. the events that we've seen so far kind of ramp up a gear. And then we also have a very special interview with our first podcast guest, aka my dad. So good. It's a, yeah. it's a heck of a passage. It is. I am. Um, I was talking to someone earlier this week who pointed out to me, and then I actually just did a little cheeky Google before I jumped on this call. Um, hmm. That lots of scholars take Luke chapter nine as like the pivotal chapter in Luke. Um, so obviously we've, right. we've read a good few chapters together now. Um, but that, I mean, and now that I know that I can see why, right? Like totally. Jesus equips his disciples and empowers them at the beginning. Mm. And then, then you have the first declaration of Jesus as Messiah by Peter. Then Jesus de- predicts his death. And then there's, crazy transfiguration stuff um and then he predicts his death a second time and then there's some stuff about the, what it looks like to follow jesus um yeah and like like up until this point we've seen like um jesus has constantly been saying um after these healings you know don't tell anyone about what i've done here mm-hmm. and then it, like at the end of this chapter like uh, uh verse 51 um Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It's kind of like the, the really you get that feel of like this is he's changing his changing his tactics now. Yes, and even where is that where he says to the he says to the man? Oh, right, in verse sixty, um, he says to someone, "You go and proclaim the kingdom of God." Yeah, and he yep. sent out his disciples. Yeah, it is a it's a change of pace. Hey, for sure. Yeah. Um, just while I'm thinking about that last bit from 57 to 62, mm-hmm. um, I guess particularly 59 and 60, where the man says, um, Lord, for, I, I, I want to follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. Um, and Jesus mm-hmm. says, to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Um, yep. seems pretty harsh. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty full on. It reminds me of kind of like, chopping off hands and plucking out eyes sort of level of uh, yeah. Jesus commands. Um, yeah. It is, um, I mean, it's, it's still harsh, but it's helpful to know the context that um, th- when this guy is saying, let me go bury my father, 
contextually, he probably doesn't actually mean that his father has died and he wants to go and bury him and then he'll be right back. He probably means let me go and be with, in this culture, let me go and be with my aging father until he dies. Like I can't leave yet. Mm. I'm going to come back. Um, and so yeah, interesting. Yeah. I know that a bunch of commentators would, would say that actually he's, he's not asking to go to his father's funeral. He's right. Right. It's like a delay. of. Yeah. um, He's like, just give me a few years and then I'll, yeah. Yeah. I'll be back. For sure. Yeah. 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 Gee, there's a lot here. Hey, um, there's, um, yeah. Another, I guess, turning point is this little scene with, with Peter and like the disciples where Jesus is like, so you've been traveling with me for a while and I've been preaching a while. Who do the crowd say I am? And then who do you say I am? Um, and it's interesting, like what the crowds think, like yeah. John, the, John the Baptist, Elijah, prophet. So they, they obviously think he's like a pretty big deal. Um, yeah. And they're just sort of still figuring him out. Um, but then Peter, who's arguably his closest mm. um, or his second, he's the one who says God's Messiah. It's interesting because like in Matthew, I'm pretty sure he says a bit more than that. Um, I'm pretty sure this is the moment when he says, um, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God or something. Let me just try and find it. Yeah, yeah, it is more. It's um, Matthew 16, verse 13. Okay. Um, so Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then that's actually mm. Jesus says to him that um, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. That's right. that interchange. Um, so it's, it's Jesus says a lot more. Simon says a few more, uh, one more thing. Messiah, son yes. of God. Yes. Um, yeah, which um, I mean, at the, it's very hard to speculate exactly what, you know, what kind of theological underpinnings Peter was working from, whether, and mm. I'm, I'm sure other people will have theories about this, but like, um, whether him saying you are the Messiah automatically includes him saying you are the son of God mm. or whether it is um, Matthew's account really is, you know. Highlighting him. that. Yeah. 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 Um, and then just that bit after as well. And when, when Jesus predicts his own death, it's like, mm. Jesus is so straight up in this, in this first line, like verse 22. Yeah. Like the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Like yeah, it's exactly there's what no <laughs> parable here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is literally a prophetic foretelling word. Um, yeah, which makes it, I am, um, I think I, had forgotten that he is that clear to his disciples about exactly what's going to happen because his disciples mm. are still very confused all the way through. Yeah, well, like when he gets we, we arrested, know they are like, all the way up to the end. <laughs> yeah, like when he gets arrested, they're like, what's happening? And then when he gets crucified, they're like, oh no, what's happening? Yeah. And even though we know that he told them. And this is crazy as well, this next line. Whoever wants to be, 
wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, cross. daily and follow me. Like nuts, yeah. We 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 know with with uh, with hindsight what he means by that. that. Yeah, yeah, and it's just so crazy that even he knew that. It's so yes. epic, so miraculous. Like, yes, yes, sure. Like he might he might know that he's gonna die, but like specifically the method of the the sentence, the execution, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 like what his disciples must have heard, like what? Take up my Roman execution device and follow you? Yeah. Yeah. Eh? Oh. Yeah, and then forever for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Mm. So it's, and that's literally what he's doing on the cross. He's losing his life, but yeah. he's going to gain it and he's also going to save everyone who loses their life for for Jesus. So yeah. It's this huge exchange, this huge, such a massive thing. And he's just completely with no questions asked, like just clear as crystal predicting it here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Question for you in verse 27. Um, Jesus says, truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death, death before they see the kingdom of God. Um, yeah. That, yeah. There's that, heaps. It's just interesting in terms of how we think about the kingdom of God. This has actually been something that I've been like um, thinking about a bit this week and being challenged on in terms of I'm doing some stuff at, at uni in that, in that biblical studies class that I'm doing um, Yeah. in terms of kingdom of God language and what that, what that means and then how that, mm. that develops through the, through, through scripture um, and so I guess there's two, you know, we read that and I've got two questions. I'm like, oh, hold on. Does that, if kingdom of God means the full, complete fulfillment of God's plan on this earth where Jesus reigns king and everyone bows their knee, well, that doesn't make any sense because all the disciples are dead. <laughs> um, and then I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. But then maybe that means, maybe it doesn't mean that. Maybe it means Jesus' death and resurrection, in which case, all of them except Judas are alive. Judas is the only one of the disciples who doesn't live to see the resurrection. Mm. And so then I'm like, wait, is he talking just about, is that like, if he's talking about that, why did he say that some of you who are standing here will not taste death? Like most of them, only one. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just cryptic. Any, any thoughts? Yeah. Well, um, I reckon you're the guest that we're going to have on, I won't spoil who it's going to be, um, might have something to say about this because I've heard that, um, the, the, that the witnessing of the kingdom of God, some people make the argument that it is the transfiguration, that they, right. that, um, the transfiguration is this glimpse at the kingdom where you see the father, the son, and it's this, um, you know, mountaintop moment. Yeah. But, you know, I think there are multiple theories here and, um, you know, there are probably competing theologians but that, that's actually my understanding of it is that oh, these yeah. some of these some of these disciples got got to see that which actually is amazing then when you look at like verse 27 said right that makes so much sense truly i tell you some of who some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of god and then literally the next verse verse 28 yep. says about days eight days after this right after jesus yeah. said this then, yeah about eight days after jesus said this he took peter john and james with him yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, actually, I think we should spend our last couple minutes talking about the transfiguration just in just, <laughs> just yeah in passing. Um, because so, firstly, surely 
know what he was saying. And you know the best thing is that like we know that Peter was one of Luke's primary sources. Mm. Right? And so mm. <laughs> at some point it was probably Peter. He confessed this. Like, I had no <laughs> idea what to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, Luke, this is what I said. and I had no idea. <laughs> I, I can imagine being just as baffled and Totally. Perplexed. But it yeah. is so funny that that's Peter's response as well. Yeah. Like, let's let's have let's, let's have a little campfire here. <laughs> and it, it's also weird to me that he wants to put up three, like one for them each, to like mm. separate them or something. Like it's... Yeah, it is just strange. I'm I'm pretty sure there's there's stuff there that I'm not understanding. Hey, like there's probably oh I'm I'm certain of it. <laughs> there's probably yeah. Old Testament references, but for us it's just like a weird offer. <laughs> it is. Yeah, thanks, it's Peter. Good. Well, at least it says in in brackets he did not know what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad we're we're not we don't have to be too embarrassed by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. so this is just hectic. Yeah, it's it's full on. Uh it's cool though, like um G- uh, God again, like the it reminds me of Jesus' baptism when mm-hmm. when God the Father says, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased, I think he says then. Yeah. Um and then here he's saying actually I'd love to love to get up what he actually said. Is it in Luke? In, um, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's right at the beginning. Luke. Luke. Uh, three. But, um, yeah, so God says, God the Father says, You are my son, whom, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. That's Luke 3 22. Um, and now he's saying, uh, this is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Mm, mm. Yeah, cool. Yeah. But there you go. Um, for anyone who's mistaken about um, Jesus being the son of the son of God, um, there it is. God the mm. Father putting his his own seal on it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, right after. Yeah. This chapter really is hammering that home. Hey, because it's where we we hear Peter declare him as the Messiah. We hear yeah. the Father re restate who he is. Mentor. All right. I. Cool. I think that's all we have time for. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I would like you to um, sum up what you in one in one sentence. You can have one sentence. Here we go. Uh, what Luke chapter nine has to say to us. Yeah, well, I reckon we'll end how you started us, which is this is this is a pivotal pivotal moment in the story of Jesus. We see him um, do this massive miracle, feeding five thousand, um, and like we've just said, um, just kind of like this um, uh, transfiguration, inaugurate inauguration almost, or confirmation of Jesus's sonship and his authority. Mm. from from the father and then peter's peter's intuition about it um yeah this is this is jesus sort of almost heading towards the end of his his um his road his ministry and he's really um going into fifth gear here (laughs) um yeah it's probably more than a sentence but was it's quite a long sentence but you know what i'll let you it's (laughs) fine
Hi there. Why don't you start by um, telling us a little bit about yourself, what you do during the week, who you are, who your favourite daughter is? <laughs> well, yes, that's right. Apart from um, being the father of Brianna, um, I, am te- I teach theology at Christ College, which is the training college, theological college for the Presbyterian Church uh, in Sydney. I've taught there for almost 20 years, about 18 years. Live in the Lower Blue Mountains, married to Elizabeth. I am. Um, I'd love us to just spend a few minutes chatting about the Transfiguration, which is a pretty big part of what happens in Luke chapter nine. Can you? Yep. I guess I'd love. Um, yeah, I'd love for people to hear about a bit of context in terms of when and why you've previously thought about the Transfiguration. Sure. I guess the biggest time I thought about it was when I was working on my PhD thesis. Um, as PhD theses go, of course, it ends up just being a page or so um, in the <laughs> but that, thesis. That actually translates uh, into lots of hours of... Yeah, that's right. There's plenty of work to produce those few pages. Um, so I was looking at a contemporary German theologian called Wolfheit Pannenberg, who, who had a big emphasis on the future as being the source of everything. So that what comes about, what things become in the future is what they are. Um, so he allows for a lot of development. Now, that's kind of the opposite probably to the way we normally think, which is we think what things are at the beginning is what they develop into. Right, yeah. Um, so I won't go into why he thought the things he thought. Um, but there's lots of ways in which he used the Bible really in interesting ways, but the transfiguration certainly seemed to be a problem for his view um, because his view was Jesus really becomes the glorified divine son of God because of the resurrection. Yeah. Right. And yet the transfiguration is this moment when the veil is brought back and we see Jesus is already the glorified son of God. Yeah. Um, and so, not surprisingly, he didn't he didn't deal with the transfiguration very well. In fact, he only had a few passing references to it. So, part of my discussion was to look at why that was and um, and, and highlight the transfiguration as a problem for him. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, from that, talk to me a little bit about what if you had to sum up what you think the transfiguration story is, what's happening there. Um, how would you do that? Because I think. Yeah, it's a big word and it's not really a word that we use in any other context. In fact, I can't think of any other context that we use it in. So yeah, just give a very short summary of, of what's happening. So the word is probably even not a very helpful word for what happens. And it's interesting that the word transfiguration is not in our, in our translations of our Bible. Yes. Um, in, the Luke, in Luke 9, the word is just the appearance of his face cha- changed. Um, yeah. And I like a transfiguration almost could feel like, um, you know, like uh, something comes upon Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden he looks different and then it's taken away again. Uh, but I'm sure what's happening is, as I said, the veil's pulled, pulled back, which is, you know, a traditional way of talking about revelation. And we see what's always been the reality um, that Jesus was always the glorified son of God um, right from the very beginning uh, you know even pre-incarnation he, the son was the was the glorified son of God and 
when he takes on his on humanity, um, he doesn't lose that. It's mm -hmm. veiled, but it's still true. And when, so, uh, when they Luke says his his face changed in appearance, but he's still in a physical body, right? He's not just turned into this shiny spirit. No. Yeah. That's right. I, there's no indication that 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 he that that he's unphysical, and we wouldn't think that because um, after the resurrection, in his ascension, when he's glorified, still he remains physical. Yeah. 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 So this is an anticipation. It's a revelation of what or what always was true, but also an anticipation of what becomes fully and finally true with his resurrection and ascension. We're recording this on Easter afternoon, this afternoon of Easter Sunday. This morning I preached on Revelation chapter one, um, which is probably the fullest presentation of Jesus as the glorified God man. Yeah. Um, and there Jesus himself seems to say that this is because he's risen from the dead. I was dead. I am the living one. I was dead, but now I'm alive forever and ever. And yeah. I hold the gates. I hold the keys of death and Hades that it's because wow. of his resurrection that he has come to be the King or um, as uh, the son of the one, like the son of man in mm. Revelation 1, but in Romans 1, it's uh, the Son of God in power. Yeah. Um, so all the transfiguration anticipates all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have the, the, one of the funny bits of this story that Luke tells is, is what Peter does. Um, yeah. Peter offers to build Elijah and Moses and Jesus' tents and then there's this great um, verse in brackets that says, Peter didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so we know that it, that was not the appropriate response. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Why, why, why did he offer to build tents? Well, I guess we don't know because um, the, Luke tells us he doesn't really know what he's saying. But I, I think there's two things going on. One... And, and so perhaps the, the background is probably the Festival of Tabernacles. Right. Um, okay. when Israel would go out and live in, okay. you know, in tents. Yeah. Um, and they would do that, I think it's eight days after Passover, isn't it? So that's the significance of the eight days. Ah, uh -huh, okay. And that, that's probably why Luke puts right. in, the, in the reference to the eight days to kind of alert you to the right. fact that this is uh, Festival of the Tabernacles kind of is in Peter's mind. Yes. Um, not 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 to say that Jesus says this at the Passover, but just the eight days gives you that 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 connection. Um, and then uh, and the, the festival of the Tabernacles, by the time you get into the first century, was a time when Israel looked forward to um, the coming of the kingdom and the end of the Roman rule and their their victory and, and um, establishment as a nation under God. Um, so that's probably part of what Peter's thinking about. The other thing is it seems Dave, uh, Peter's trying to hang on to the experience that he's having because uh, Luke says, as the men were leaving, mm -hmm. Peter says, let's, let's make tents. So he's kind of saying, Let, let's keep this going. 
Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, he, it's no, no it, surprise, right? Because he's not only is he seeing Jesus un, unveiled as the Son of God, he's also with Moses and Elijah, which right. would have been pretty amazing. Yes, yes. So all of a sudden he's seeing sort of the Jesus who he follows in relation to the whole history of Israel. Uh, Moses, the foundational prophet and the author of the law, Elijah, who's the archetypal second Moses and the the one who will come before the Messiah. Um, There they are. And Peter says, let's, let's hold on to this. Yeah. Uh, But, but I guess then the point is that it wasn't there for them to hold on to. It was just a moment where these three are being shown what really who Jesus truly is, the veils pulled back. Yeah, yeah. Great. My my last question is there will be people listening to this who have puzzled over the transfiguration themselves and there'll probably be others of us who have maybe never thought about it before. If If you have one thing that you think people should think further on or ponder on or pray mm-hmm. about, from the transfiguration, what, what would it be? Right. Well, I think I'm going to take two. Go for it. <laughs> um, one is the point that I was, I was just making about this is the, one of the moments where we see the glory of Jesus. Um, and it's worth reflecting on that here uh, and then chasing through the reference, the, the passages later on in the New Testament, which talk about the glory of Jesus. Uh, so Philippians 2 Um, that uh, he'll be given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. The end of Philippians 2, that when Jesus returns, uh, he will transform our bodies to be like his glorious body. Uh, Ephesians 1, uh, towards the end, Paul's prayer, that we would know the power by which God has has raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to be the one above all things, fill the whole whole world, Um, the whole of reality. Uh, so or, to think about the glory of Jesus mm. would be the first thing. Um, and when I was preaching on Revelation 1 this morning, I was saying to people, I, I don't think this is the way we often think about Jesus. We often think about him um, at, at the baby in the manger or walking oh in Palestine with, with his disciples or, or dying on the cross or even raised, but, you know, with his disciples and you know, Thomas touching him, not being recognised on the road to Emmaus. Uh, but all of that is heading towards something greater and and, uh, and more glorious, which is his yeah. ascension and glorification and exaltation. But then I think the other thing that we really need to get out of this passage is what the disciples were meant to get out of it, which is what the voice of God says, the voice from heaven says, this is my son who I've chosen, listen to him. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's the big application for the disciples that they need to listen to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He is their teacher and they've already accepted him as their teacher. Um, and yet the next few chapters, there's lots more teaching to come. Um, and there's even a, not, not a, it's not a, it's not a contrast, it's not contrast the wrong word, but he's the fulfillment. So they need to listen to Moses and the Lord, they need to listen to Elijah and the prophets. Right. But even more, they need 
they need to listen to Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And that, that that's the application for us as well. Yeah, wonderful. Great. Well, thank you for chatting to me, Dad. My pleasure.